Um, good morning, guys. My name is Corey. Like you said, uh, I get to lead a church down in Kingston, Jamaica. Do I have any Jamaicans in the house? Come on. One, Are you really Jamaican? No. <laughs> this is a house tour. No, I knew it by the way you said come on. But uh, it's okay. It's very rapid. I didn't expect a lot of Jamaicans. It's okay. I used to do ministry down in Lima, Peru. I lived down there for a little while, and whenever I called to the States, I'd be like, hola, iglesia, como estan? Like, anybody from Peru, it'd be like crickets. And I'd be like, yeah. So I'm getting that everywhere I go. But let me ask this. Has anybody ever been to Jamaica? Like, yeah. How many of you went to Jamaica on a mission trip? How many of you, was it your honeymoon? That's a different mission entirely. <laughs> uh, we support it. It's the island of love. It's good. Uh, but just some, just some context. You said this is a mature church. Okay. Uh, if you're new here, I won't be here next week. It'll be touring. So if you don't like it, come back. Give it another shot. But uh, yeah, when I say that, when I say the ministry down in Jamaica, some people are like, oh, rough life, bro. You know, like, because when we think Jamaica, we think like a sandals resort, you know, like Michael Scott vacation. And, and uh, <laughs> like, I totally get that. There are some beautiful resorts in Jamaica. But many of you that maybe have gone to Jamaica, you remember that ride to the resort, or you remember when you stepped off resort. And suffice it to say, it's a third world developing country with a ton of poverty, a ton of hurt. Um, but with a ton of hope. And I've been preaching down in Jamaica at different events for about five years, and God just kept stirring our hearts and tying it and knitting it more and more together with the people down there. And we're actually in the port city of Kingston, Jamaica, so it's not really one of the tourist areas, but there are phenomenal people, and I expect to see each and every one of you down there on a mission trip soon in the coming years. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Okay. All right, good. Uh, you already committed. Can't lie in church unless you're that guy. Um, <laughs> I am stoked to be here and, and jump right into week two of this series called The Pattern. Um, if you can't tell already, I, I picked that name zeal for two reasons. One, because it's biblical. Romans chapter 12 says never be lacking in zeal. Everybody say zeal. Zeal. Yeah, okay. If you also didn't know this about me, I really preaching is best when it is a dialogue, not a monologue. And it's, suffice it to say, like, if I say anything you agree with at all, just give me some positive affirmation um, for a couple reasons. One. Um, if your neighbor's asleep, it wakes them up. It's good. It helps. Two, I'm nowhere near as secure as your lead pastor touring. And so the positive affirmation helps my self-esteem. And three, I think when we engage with the word of God, it does another level of work in our souls and hearts. Amen. And so you, if you grew up in church and you speak Christianese, you can give me the amen. Um, if you didn't, amen just directly translates. It means so be it. Or like, I agree with, modern day translation would be like, right on, or that's what's up. And they all work. God receives them all. So I'm going to say something you should agree with, or be happy about, and you just give me your best response, okay? I, I even, like, if you don't know the words, the Bible says the Holy Spirit groans for us, so if it's really good, you can just give it up. Mm. <laughs> I was preaching one time in a church. Um, down in the Caribbean, in the West Indies, and, and I said something, and this lady stood up and goes, you preach your white boy, and I was like, I'm trying. Um, <laughs> that was the pinnacle of my preaching career. Uh, so let's just try this real quick. So on the count of three, I'm going to say something you should agree with, and then you give me some positive affirmation, saying you received that statement. Um, Torin's going to give you the winning lottery numbers for this week's lottery. <laughs> so you're like, best church ever. Uh, yeah, so it's good. I'm glad we're here. And just as we go through God's word today, if you receive it, let me know. Let God know. If you have a Bible, open it up. We're going to jump right into Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter what? <laughs> Nicely done. Ooh, you guys are good. See, y'all don't even need any coaching on that. 
I was going, I have my car keys in my pocket. That was funny. I'm going to get out of here quick. Nope. Um, Troy said I have a good hour and a half to two hours to preach, so I'm going to try and cram everything in that little bit of time. So if you're your first time, you're like, that's serious. No, no, we're like, we're, we're like that hour, hour and a half church, right? <laughs> so we're like, I'm going on the boat. Uh, Philippians <laughs> chapter 2. Before we dive in, I, I got to listen to a little bit of the series. This has been awesome. I love jumping into a church um, where you're in the middle of something. I get to kind of swim in the same stream as you. But some quick context on Philippians, if you haven't been here for, for the entirety of this series. Um, we cover chapter 1, the first half of chapter 2. We're going to cover the second half of chapter 2 today. Um, but as I was thinking about like zeal, what we're doing down in Jamaica, even what we're doing here at the local church, and maybe what God's even doing all across Water's Edge Network, which, by the way, it is such a privilege to be a part of. You have no idea what it means to the Jamaicans down in Kingston to know that there's a group of people up here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, that are a part of the same spiritual family as us, that are cheering us on, that are supporting us. So just know, you may never meet them on this side of eternity, but when you touch down on eternal shores, you're going to have some Jamaicans just stoked running up to you and be like, thank you so much! And you're going to be like, why? And you're be like, because you prayed for us, you supported us, and my little girl gave her life to Christ because you from miles away were a part of the same spiritual family. So again, just on behalf of them, thank you. But as I was thinking about the type of church God wants us to be, there's a lot of like examples spiritually all throughout the New Testament of what the church is and is supposed to be. Uh, if you didn't know, the, the word church even comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which means a movement of God's people. So church isn't this. Church isn't the walls. Church is this. Church is God's people gathering together, edifying each other in him, lifting him up and hearing his word. And that's good news because all of a sudden a storm came through or this building got ripped away or the U.S. government said church can no longer meet. We would still have the church and be the church and grow as the bride of Christ. And so we, we continually look at scripture for examples of what we're supposed to be like. And, and as I looked and studied the book of Philippians for this sermon, I discovered or rediscovered some phenomena. I talk fast too, and they gave me a bunch of coffee. Um, but if you have trouble keeping up with me, a trick is you can go online and load at the speed and watch it back. Um, I had somebody that said they had to do that. So now I'm going to get even faster as I go. And so Philippians, I was studying the church at Philippi, and as I read this book, it stood out to me. This is like the only book that the Apostle Paul, or the only letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church that had like little to no correction in it. I don't know if you know this, but like Paul wrote the, the book of Philippians, the letter to the church of Philippi in prison, which is phenomenal when you read like how happy he sounds. And then you remember the dude was in a first century dungeon and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get my life together. Like he was, he was encouraging this church, but it had little to no correction. Like, when he would write the Corinthians, he'd be like, yo, stop sleeping around. When he'd write the Colossians, he'd be like, get your act together. And then when he wrote the Philippians, he's like, I miss you guys. You're amazing. Yeah. And so when we think, man, what kind of church do we want to be like? What kind of church do we want the local church to embody and represent? I think Philippi is a great example. But then you kind of got to ask the question, like, run it back and rewind. Well, what started Philippi? And it's kind of a cool story. Let's give you some quick context. So Paul and his homies were kind of coming through Philippi, and his normal church planning strategy was he would show up in a city, and then he would find the local synagogue, because he was a former rabbi, Pharisee, and he would go to the synagogue to a bunch of Jewish believers, or non-believers, but they would believe in the Torah and God, and he would say, hey, the Messiah has come. And then usually a fragment of them would be like, yeah, that's what's up, and they would give their life to Jesus, and there would be the church in that city. The problem is, he rolled up in Philippi, 
went to no synagogue. It was a very secular city. And so he had to find like any Jews he could find. And he found like basically, suffice it to say, a small group. And he went to this small group and he shared the same story of Jesus. And it said, this woman named Lydia. Everybody say Lydia. This is such cool. Lydia was like a, a fashion designer. She was like a CEO fashionista. Um, if she really was, it said she dealt in purple cloth. Purple cloth was like the most expensive clothing. So she was like the Dolce & Gabbana dealer of the first century. And it said Lydia gave her life to Christ. And it says she persuaded, in English it said she persuaded them to stay at her house. The Greek's actually stronger. It says like she forced them. You ever meet a woman like that? They're like, no, you're staying with me. You're all here to get to hospitality. That was Lydia. Very forceful CEO, fashionista. And so Lydia had the first house church in Philippi. That's amazing. Do I have any ladies in the house? Yeah. One of the things I love about love church, why did that just come out of my mouth? That was weird. Yeah. I know. One of, the, one of the things I love about this church and Water's Edge Network is we believe in the women in our churches. Not just the women to come and sit and listen, but the women to stand up and lead and love and be beacons of hope in our church and in our world. And Lydia is an example of that. For, for lack of a better way to say it, she kind of led the first church in Philippi. And then the second convert we have, there was a demon-possessed girl that was falling around Paul and his buddies, and they got so annoyed, they healed her. <laughs> it's in the Bible, read it. They were like, leave us alone, be healed. And, and so this, the first convert is a fashionista CEO woman. The second is a former demon-possessed little girl. And then they get thrown in prison because they healed the girl. And in prison, they're praising God, and the jail cells open, and everybody gets out. And the prison guard goes suicidal because he's going to lose his job. He tries to kill himself. And Paul's like, don't do it! And then he saves him in the name of Jesus. So the first three converts we know in the church in Philippi are the fashionista CEO, the formerly demon-possessed little girl, and a suicidal soldier. Welcome to the church of Philippi. And this is the only letter that Paul gives no correction to. He's like, you want to be like an amazing church? Look at Philippi. And I'm like, what? From the outside looking in, that seems like a pretty jacked up group, right? And that's so encouraging to me. And it should be encouraging us to, today here at the local church. Because if you walked in and you're not perfect, you are in great company, not just here at the local church, but when it comes to the church of Philippi. And so with that context, we're going to jump into Philippians chapter 2, the second half of it. And the back end of chapter 2 is really just some travel instructions and some people he's trying to send. But we're just going to focus in on five verses here. We're going to start in verse 12. If you're there, say yeah. Yeah. I would like it. Some of you are from uh, the ghetto as well. <laughs> uh, yeah. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. It reads, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, again, this is Paul writing to them, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It says continue to work out. Everybody say work out. Right. I got anybody that likes to work out? There you go. It's in the Bible. It says work out. Anybody that doesn't like to work out, got to get to it. It says continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works. I don't have a ton of time to write into that, but that's kind of confusing. It says, you continue to work, but it's God who works. So you work, it's really God who works. You work, 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 see, Rihanna had it right. Work, work, work. Do everything, I know that's true. Sorry. Um, do everything. Everybody say everything. everything. That right there in the Greek, that word everything, you know what it means? 
everything. It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Some translations say without complaining or murmuring. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Just pause on that. One cool thing about the Bible is if you find a principle or a truth in the Bible, you can always know that the antithesis of it is true as well. And so here it says, when you do everything without grumbling, complaining, murmuring, gossiping, when you do life without those things, you are a child of God. That's that's awesome. But then that means the antithesis of that is true as well, the opposite. When you murmur, when you complain, when you argue, you're acting like a child of... Uh, I'll just leave that right there. So you're like, you're a child of Satan. You know what you said to me on the way to church today? No, anyways. But that's crazy, right? Like, Paul's, like, it's truth. It's hard truth, but it's good truth, because he's saying they do this. And then he says, then you will, so if you do all these things, if you do everything without complaining, if you continue to always obey, he says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word that's kind of what we're going to focus on today. So I read that passage. And you ever read a passage of scripture and you're like, oh yeah, you know, murmuring, complaining, obeying. That sounds awesome. And then you look at it and you're like, what? Like how? How do they do this? Right? Like it says, start, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. Those, those are big words. Always obeyed. I read that and I go, how? You need a mic in here. Like, like, how? How do you all? And then he continues, much more in my absence, so they're even more obedient when their leader's not there. That's a whole leadership talk in and of itself. How are you when your leader's away? But now, much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation. How do you work out your salvation? How? how? Like, again, if you ever want to dive deeper into the Bible, just read a sentence and ask questions. Why and how are great ones. And so, how do you work out your, your salvation? What is God who works? How? What does that even mean? And then do everything without complaining? Somebody say, how? Uh, like, if you've ever lived with anyone for any amount of time, that's a miracle statement, right? Where are my married people at? Any married couples in the house? <laughs> Look at your spouse and say, how? <laughs> right? Like, how we in the world can we do that? And I think he answers it. In the last sentence there, he says, then you will shine like stars. And then we go, how do we shine like stars? In today's time, sometimes when it seems so dark, when it feels so dark, he says, then you will shine like stars as you hold firmly to the word. As you hold tightly, as you hold, as you cling to the word of life. How? How do we do everything without complaining? How do we shine like stars? How do we always obey? We hold firmly to the word. We hold, everybody say the word. word. We hold firmly to the word. And so then I ask, well, what's the word? Right? Again, if you grew up in church, you're like, the Bible, right? I mean, like, if you ever don't know the answer in church, just say Jesus or the Bible. That's always the answer. A preacher will never get mad at you. And so when you say, what's the word? Obviously, some of us would immediately go, well, it's got to be the Bible, right? But when Paul wrote this, the Bible consisted of the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and then some letters that were going around that hadn't technically been canonized as Scripture, but were considered to be God's teaching. But it, 
it led me to the question, well, what if there was a word that we could hold on to that would bring about all of the results that we see here in this passage and in the church of Philippi? And so I started looking like for the pattern in the passage. What's the pattern? What, what's the common denominator amongst these things? And, and, and there is a word that is repeated over over and over again in Scripture. Actually, in the original text, it's said over 170 times. And it's a word we all know in here. It's a part of one of the most famous songs ever written. And, and I'm not a singer at all. Um, my wife's a singer. She's like a professional singer. And I told her I was going to sing this one little melody. And I said, I'm really nervous. And you know what she said to me? She said, do your best. She didn't even say, you got this or you can do it. She just said, do your best. I was like, that's an affirmation that I suck at singing. Um, but, but you all know this word, because I want to give you, I'm just going to give you a little melody, and you'll know the word I'm talking about. The word that said over 170 times in scripture, the word I think we can hold on to to be like Philippi. Okay, you ready? Just finish this phrase. Amazing. Yeah, my singing career has now come. Yeah, you got it, right? Grace. Everybody say grace. Grace. Great. When I think about how they obey, when I think about how they work out their salvation, when we think about how you can do everything without murmuring, complaining, and arguing, I keep coming back to this word, grace. And what we just established is that we know, at least in theory, that grace is amazing, right? We just sing it, or I sing it. Amazing. What does it mean that grace is amazing? Amazing, I looked it up. I think. I mean, the dictionary, it's fine. Just read it when you have spare time. Uh, amazing actually means like out of this world, um, otherly, um, extraordinary, not normal. And so we know grace is those things, but it begs the question, so if this may have been the common denominator, the word that they could live out to achieve these things, it begs the question, what is grace? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what is it? What is this thing that's amazing that we're supposed to hold on to, that we're supposed to live out as Christ followers? What is, is grace? And I heard a, an old school preacher many years ago say this. He said, grace is like there's a river and the current of the river is pulling the whole world towards hell. Positive, right? It's a good message. <laughs> so like, this is encouraging, church, Corey. You need to flip the script. I'll get there. And so he says the, the river is pulling the whole world to hell. And you're in a little boat. And grace is God gives you oars to paddle against the current away from hell to God in heaven. And he, he said it like this. Grace is the divine enablement to keep on rowing. And I heard that and I was like, hmm, that sounds good. You ever hear something like, yeah, right on. And I thought about it and I was like, no. That doesn't sound like amazing grace. That sounds like amazing you. Because if you're the one doing the rowing and the working, then some credit comes to you. And therefore, it is not grace. And so I dug a little deeper. So what is it? What is grace? What is this thing that we can live out to bring about these results? And I found a definition from this old pastor out in Texas, and I love it. He said, grace is the unmerited, undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. A lot of uns there that sound kind of synonymous. Ooh, that's so good. I'm just going. Sometimes it's just scripture. You ever like like read something and you're like, if not, you didn't hear it. <laughs> I'll repeat it. It says grace. Grace is the unmerited, 
undeserved, unearned kindness and favor of God. So just for a few minutes, I want to break down what those mean and how we can step further and further into it. So the first thing he says grace is, is unmerited. Everybody say unmerited. Unmerited. Now this is, that's a cool word, and I heard it, and I was like, unmerited, and I was like, what does unmerited mean? And it's kind of sad, it's like, it means you, you don't work for it. And, and the, the most distinct definition I found is, great, unmerited means you are not worthy of it. You, you are not worthy. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Grace is a gift that we do not earn. We are not worthy of it. And so I started thinking about that unmerited. What does unmerited mean? And did anybody, was anybody in Boy Scouts when you grew up in, in Boy Scouts? All right, a couple of you. Um, I always wanted to be, but I was poor. We couldn't afford it. And so my parents put me in church, and we had like the churchy version of Boy Scouts. It was called RAs. Um, anybody remember that? RAs and GAs? No, I'm the only dorky Southern Baptist in the house. Cool. But in RAs and GAs, we got merit badges, like in Boy Scouts, right? Or Girl Scouts. Like, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? They all have like their, I don't know why you have like a sash. Like, no, look at me. Um, but you have like your sash, and they put like, you accomplish a task, and you show proficiency in it, and then you would get a merit badge. And the whole point, at least in RAs, of getting a merit badge would be like, I accomplished this, and enough merit badges would excel you to the next level and qualify you kind of for a new standard, a new title. And what the Bible is saying here through this translation of, of grace, what grace is really saying is there's no amount of merit we can achieve to qualify us for the gift of grace, for the gift of salvation, for the gift of God's kindness and favor. There's no amount of badges we can get. And some of you are like, that's cool. We don't do the whole marriage badge thing in Christian. Wouldn't that be funny? Like we walked out of here and Torin was like sitting at the door like, you didn't fall asleep today. You get the awake badge. You know, you lifted your hands in worship. You get the outward worship badge. You know, like whatever it is. <laughs> but I don't know if you know this, but we do get merit badges in Christianity as Christ followers. The Bible actually calls them crowns in heaven. We get we, we can't see them with our physical eyes, but with your spiritual eyes, we get crowns. And I, I actually did, did some excavating, like Indiana Jones style, and I got some actual spiritual crowns today to illustrate this point. Can I get can I get a couple crowns here? Um, your wig will just start with one. Okay. So I went and got my crown, went by the BK Lounge, and uh, <laughs> they thought I was a psycho. I, I just I ordered like the dollar nuggets or whatever, so I had something, and I was like, can I have 10 crowns, and they were just like, sir, you have no kids. And I was just like, I just love them. <laughs> I can explain it. <laughs> so they gave me some crowns. And so like, but in, in, in Christianity, we get crowns. Like this, this actually happens. When you say yes to Jesus, when you go from lost to found, dead to alive, when you accept the gift that is salvation, the Bible says you are crowned as a prince or princess of the most high God and king of the universe. So you get your salvation crown. And when we first say yes and receive the grace of God, it's like, woo! Like, I got my crown. Like, I'm in the family. Like, oh, many of us remember that feeling. And then what happens? We take our first step of obedience, which is baptism, which I know a lot of you have done here. If you haven't, go sign up afterwards. It's literally your first step. Don't delay the obey. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Jump in and start following Jesus. Can I get amen? So we get our baptism crown. So thank you, Pastor Torrey, for coming. And so we get our baptism crown. And we're like, yeah, you know, like you can feel it. Like I'm following Jesus. And then what happens? Like we, we come in and we start serving. So we get our serving crown in the church. Like, yeah, I'm not sure. We go, this is probably not going to work. 
And then, and then we joined a small group. Yeah, you know, I'm stacking these crowns up, right? Here we go. And, and, and this is awesome. This is supposed to happen. Okay? Um, but what happens is over, let's say, six months, two years, a few years, if we're not careful, what is meant as a prize can turn into pride. What, what, what is meant as an honor can start to inflate our ego. And subconsciously, like in our psyche, it's almost like humanity's nature can't help it. We start to kind of look down on people that don't have the crowns. You know what I'm talking about? Like, what, what happens is we're like, I used to need God's grace. Like, man, I needed God's grace. I said, yes, Jesus. And start serving the church. And then, man, and then we kind of start pumping chest up. And we're like, man, I, I, I used to be like, I used to be like, Sharon, thank God I got Jesus now, right? <laughs> I used to need God's grace like her, you know? I used to go to that club like her, man. I used to, I used to sleep around and put, man, God, hmm, got my crowns now. Like, you ever walk into a church and you feel this? Like, it feels like everybody's looking at you kind of like, hmm, I wonder what you've done. Right? And there's this like entitlement mentality if we're not careful. And, and what's crazy is God looks at us and he says, your grace is not by your works. The only way you could even get a crown was through me and what I did in my works for you. The grace you have been given is unmerited. So even though you're, but we in Christianity tend to put ourselves above people and then God goes, no, 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 no. You still today, with all your crowns, need just as much grace as sharing. There's no, and you're like, but she does drugs. God, Sharon's high right now. Right now. And she only came because she thinks the greeter's cute. And you're telling me I'm on the same level of shit. God looks back and says, no, I'm telling you, I will leave the night and I would go get Sharon. That's how important she is to me. Because it's in our nature. We all want to be God's favorite. We, I mean, even the disciples, like the sons of, uh, of thunder, you know, their mom came to Jesus and said, hey, can my boy sit to your left and right? Like, can they be your, like, your special too? And there's something in us that wants to be God's favorite. We're going, God, look what I've done for you. Look how long I've served you. Don't I deserve a little bit more? Can I be your favorite? And God says, you are my favorite. Because you're all my favorite. You are all, and that, that's hard for us to fathom, a father that has endless love. That just because he pours out his love, time, affection, and favor, and kindness on us, doesn't mean he has any less if he pours the same amount on Shiv. And, and, and we forget that the whole point of the crowns, when our feet hit eternal shores, is actually to lay them at Jesus' feet. That's the whole point of the crowns. It's to admit and confess upon the day of seeing him, <clears throat> I could have never have done any of this without you and your grace. And that grace is unmerited. We all need it because the ground at the foot of the cross is love. None of us stand higher than the stand. And when we get that, we tend to be a little bit more open to each other, a little bit more understanding. We tend to celebrate one another. Like, what do you, what do, you do when God calls you to show grace, love, mercy, and kindness like he's shown you to someone else that you can't stand? Like, it, it quickly turns us into the prodigal son. His brother. The prodigal son's brother. You know the story of the prodigal son? 
You know, he goes away and he comes back and the dad kills the fat cats. He throws a big party for him and the prodigal son's brother's like, why does he get a party? I've been here serving and obeying the whole time. And the father looks at him and says, son, you can have a party anytime you want. But your brother was lost and now he's found. What do you do when there's a prodigal in your life and they come home and God tells you to plan the party? But I don't like them. They, they messed me over in a business deal. They cheated on so-and-so, which, who was my friend. What do we do when they come home, when they step in the local church, when they give their lives to Christ? Are we stoked and excited for them because a lost person came home? Or do we sit with our crowns and go, yeah, I'm still Do we really understand God's grace? It's unmerited. Everybody say unmerited. unmerited. And I see a countdown clock for the first time just now, so this is going to go real fast. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> The second thing is it's undeserved. Everybody say undeserved. Romans 3.24 says it like this. Being justified freely by his grace. In other words, there's nothing we can do to earn it. And I'm just going to jump right in and do a quick word study with you guys. The, the word grace in the Greek there is actually a business term. It's spelled with a K, but it's pronounced haris. Everybody say haris. haris. Yeah, it's a cool word. If you name your daughter... Carice, after the word grace, don't change it now. Like, that's fine. Call it Carice. But it's actually pronounced Carice. And what Carice means, like I said, it's a business term. I don't like talking about spiritual things and, and business terminology, but this was the best word they could find in the Greek to say what God meant. And so I'm just going to break it down. Basically, what it's saying is there's somebody that has the goods. There is a proprietor. Um, I mean, can I get two volunteers? Not everyone at once. Raise your hand. Two people. All right. You'll be my proprietor. Come on up. Proprietary person. Come on. Come on. Y'all can I need another one. Can I get another volunteer? Anybody? Come on. No, you know, you're, you're, you're really nice, but that won't work. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Right here? All right, come on up. Come on up, sir. Come on up, sir. Y'all give a man. What's your name? And all right, we have four minutes, 51 seconds left, so we got to do this fast. All right, Olivia and Matt. So... Olivia, let's say you're the consumer, okay? So you need something. You need, let's just say you need, you need a shirt. You're like, oh my gosh, I need a shirt! Okay, Matt, you're the shirt supplier. You make shirts, you own the shirts on a thousand hills, you're the shirt man, okay? So the Bible says haris means this. Haris is there is a consumer and a proprietor. And we would say, well, grace is Matt, the proprietor, the owner, gives freely the shirt to Olivia, right? That's grace. That's not grace. What Haris means is there are three-party business transactions. There's a third party in Haris. And the third party is called the broker. And the broker is an outside party that steps in and sees the need and sees a transaction that can never take place because Olivia needs the shirt, but Olivia can never pay for and or afford the shirt. It is completely out of her scope of reality to ever acquire what he has, what she needs. Harith says a broker steps in and says, you need a shirt. You have shirts. Matt, I as the broker, I'm gonna buy this shirt from you and I'm gonna pay in full for this shirt. And then I, the broker, am gonna give it to Olivia at completely no cost. It is 100% free and yours. You owe me nothing. Matt is owed nothing because I paid the price for it. That is grace. And grace is Jesus steps in as the broker. 
and says, you need life eternal. You need forgiveness for sin and death. You need what you could never pay for. And God the Father, it's a big honor for you, God the Father <laughs> has life and love and forgiveness. And Jesus says, what you could never pay for, I'm going to step in, pay the full price, and give to you, and you only know. That's why you keep that t-shirt too, by the way. Y'all give them a hand. Give them a hand. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. And some of us forget that there's a broker involved named Jesus and the grace. That when we receive it from him, we can start to live out those things in Philippi. And, and finally, it's unmerited. Everybody say unmerited. It's undeserved. Everybody say undeserved. And then it's unearned. Say unearned. It means you can't work for it. There's nothing you can do to acquire grace. It, Romans says it like this in Romans 11.6. And if by grace, then it cannot be based on works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. That's a little redundant and kind of hard to pick up. But an easy trick is just to flip the words grace and works with earned and free. And so think of it like this. And if it's free, then it cannot be earned. Because if it were earned, then free would no longer be free. Does that make sense? Grace cannot be earned. It reminds me, like, just time after time after time after time in my life, I've been, like, confronted with this truth that there's nothing I can do. There's no amount of crowns I can acquire. There's, there's no amount of work I can do for the Lord to earn his grace. It is a free gift given to me. And it reminds me of a story uh, I heard a few years back uh, there was a young man born in 1973. His name was Rick. His dad was Richard. His name was Rick. And uh, Rick was born with the umbilical cord around his neck. And when he came out, um, he suffered a lot of physical ailments. He was paraplegic. Um, he had a little bit of range of motion in his right arm. Couldn't talk. Couldn't walk. And uh, as Rick continued to grow, his parents loved him dearly. And there was actually a technology developed in the 70s to help Rick communicate. Um, it's widespread now, but he was the first person that was ever developed for. It was where they put a scanner on his eyes, and he could look at letters with his eyes and spell words, and the computer would speak for him. Rick was the guy that this was first developed for. And so Rick, because his technology was able to go to school, was able to learn, was able to get an education, and when he was in middle school, there was a tragic accident with one of Rick's classmates. Um, he got in a car wreck, didn't pass away, but his family and his school were trying to raise money to pay for the medical bills for Rick's classmates' hospital expenses. And so Rick came home to his dad, Richard, and said with his eyes, I want to run in the fundraiser 5K for my classmate. Rick was in a wheelchair. Can't run. But instead of his dad saying, son, you can't run, his dad said, okay, we're going to run in that 5K. That's what you want to do. So his dad started training because that was like a computer programmer, wasn't very athletic. His dad started training and put Rick in his wheelchair. Not that computer programmers aren't athletic, sorry. I heard a few people chuckle. I was like, that just depends on my but Rick trained, <laughs> but Richard trained, and, and, and he put Rick in his wheelchair, and he ran the whole 5K pushing his son. And at the end of the race, his son was just beaming. And he said, hey, Rick, how do you feel? And with his eyes, he sped up, spelled out, this is the first time I feel like I'm not disabled. 
And so his dad made up in his mind at that moment, we're going to run some more races. If this is the way this makes you feel, we're going to run more races. And, and so his dad continued to train, and over the course of like the next decade, I, I wrote it down because it's pretty phenomenal. It says they ran over 72 marathons and over 255 triathlons. Do you know what a triathlon is? I didn't. And so I looked it up. A triathlon means you run, wait, let's see. Yeah, you swim 2.4 miles, you run 26.2 miles, and then you bike 112 miles. Richard did this with Rick over 72 times, and then over 255 times on the track. He was, every time he had to swim, he would put Rick in a raft, and he would swim with Rick behind him. Every time he had to ride, he would put him on a basket in front of him, and he would ride the bike. Every time he had to run, he would put him in a chair in front of him, and he would push him. When I think about grace, when I think about how it's unearned, unmerited, and undeserved, I just think about this amazing family. And actually, there's a quick video of one of their races, if y'all wouldn't mind taking a look at Rick and Richard Hoyt. Time 
Back when I was a kid, I used to love these things. They were called glow sticks. There's actually one under each one of your chairs right now if you want to grab it. And we'll land it here. And you're like, this is like an Ellen show. And just grab it, hold on to it real quick. And here's what I mean. I know this is silly or cheesy, but here's how I land it. I thought my life, and I think life in general, was kind of like a glow stick. And here in Philippians chapter 2, it says that we are to shine like stars. But like a glow stick, it first must be broken before it can shine. And I, you hear that sound? I didn't even have to ask it. I was going to ask if you've ever been broken, breaking glow stick. If something's ever gone wrong in life, if you've ever been hurt or hurt someone, just break that glow stick. But the cool thing about a glow stick is when it's broken, it shines but just in your hands. But just like Omar said to me, even when you're broken, you need somebody to pick you up. When they will shine, you need somebody to lift you up. And so can we do this? Can we all bow our heads and close our eyes? Maybe even just bow your heads and look at that glow stick. And right now, just to end our time today, I just want to ask the question. Some of us in here, maybe we've never felt or received a grace like that before. Maybe, yeah, we've been broken. And we thought we were healed, but really we were just being distracted. Filling our lives with another relationship, with another task, trying to forget what happened to us and forget what we did. But everything in us wants to live a life like this described here in Philippians chapter 2. We want to shine for the glory of God. We want to make a difference in this world. We want to do something that will last beyond ourselves. But maybe today you realize it starts with just receiving the free gift of grace. It's your entire life. Jesus has been at that door knocking. That gift of grace that he paid for saying, hey, I'm here. All you can do with the gift is receive it. But God, I'm too messed up. I'm too broken. I know. That's why I'm here. But God, I'm not ready. You'll never be ready. That's why I'm here. But God, I don't know all the I know. That's why I'm here. And so right now, just with that glowing glow stick, I would just pray with every head bowed and every eye closed. If you want to receive the grace of God today for the first time, if you want to say yes to Jesus, being the King of kings and Lord of lords in your life, if you want to shine like the stars for you in this world, nobody looking around, just on the count of three, just lift that glow stick in there. One, two, three. Just keep it up. If you look at that glow stick in the air, in the quietness of your heart right now, just pray for something like this. It's not about the words, if it was, that'd be an incantation, that's witchcraft, we believe in that, but it's about the posture of your heart. And just say something like this to God, and still quiet Say, hey God, I'm down. I'm messed up. I admit I'm broken. But I know I need you. I'm all yours now. 
I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you did what I could. You lived perfectly. I believe you died in my place. You paid the price for me. God, you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave and shined alive. God, from this point forward, I want to receive and live out your grace. Shine like the sun. Father, right now I pray over everyone under the sound of my voice that just prayed that prayer, that they would remember forever and always that you got them, that you love them, that your favor and kindness is upon them. And no matter how messed up, jacked up, shacked up, or locked up we are, that you are our king, you are our dad, and you love us beyond measure. I pray those of us that have been needing a fresh dose of your grace, that today we would feel it afresh for the first time, maybe in a long time. God, I pray for the marriages in here, that they would just be lavished with grace today, that husbands and wives would show each other an extra dose of grace, because today we have been reminded that we have been given it even though we don't deserve it. God, I pray for our friends that need to be shown grace, that the local church would be filled time after time after time again with really messed up people just like us, that know we're no better, but you are, and we need you, and we have you, and we love you. Father, thank you that we can shine because you did. Thank you that you enable us to give grace because you did. Father, we love you and we praise you in this place. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for having me today.